So what I'm speaking about is being tougher than your toughest day. Because let's face it, there are some tough days, right? So let's turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians is my all-time favorite book in the Bible because it's all about freedom. And I just love that. So Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You see, the Word of God clearly gives us instruction through the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote the book of Galatians um, because the Holy Spirit knew that in this life we were going to have trouble and we were going to have tribulation. If you came to Jesus because somebody preached a message to you that coming to Jesus in your whole entire life is going to run perfectly, you're never going to have any problems, they lied to you, I am deeply sorry that that happened because God very clearly says there is going to be trouble and there is going to be tribulation. In fact, he knew right from the beginning with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, and God comes, he said, Adam, what have you done? And Adam says, it was the woman's fault, and the woman played the serpent. And then God stood there, and he says to them, I'm going to tell you the consequences of what you've done. This was not judgment. People go, oh, God judged them. No, no, he just laid out the consequences. Because you did this, this is the reaction of what's going to happen. And he turns to Eve and he says to her, you are going to raise your children in hardship and sorrow because they now have a sin nature, whereas before they didn't have a sin nature. See, I've heard a lot of teaching where they say that childbirth was, pain in childbirth was the consequence. How many mothers here know that raising your children, the pain of childbirth is not the only pain you go through, Right? Raising your children is painful because they do things we don't want them to do. And that's because of their sin nature. And then God turns to Adam and he says, Adam, you are now going to have to toil the land and sweat. And it's going to be hard work. There's going to be weeds and there's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles. And this is the consequence of what you guys have done. So God knew that man was going to be loosed into a kingdom, into a world that is now governed by darkness has now ruled by darkness. And he knew that because of that, we were going to have trouble, that we were going to have worry, that there were going to be anxious moments in our life, that we were going to experience anxiety, and that there was going to be pressure. And that's why he said in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You have to understand that there is an enemy in this world. His name is Satan, and he is after your heart. And if he can get your heart to weaken, if he can get your heart to be discouraged, if he can get your heart to be fearful, if he can make you faint, then he knows that the seed of faith that we carry in our heart, he can snatch away. You see, without faith, nothing is accomplished in the kingdom of God. It's by faith that we receive from the invisible realm and we bring it into this visible realm. The just shall live by faith. There is no other way to live. But God didn't tell me to live by my worry. He didn't tell me to live by my fear. He didn't tell me to live by my natural instinct or my natural wit. In fact, what he says is, he says, don't boast. Don't boast in your natural intellect. Don't boast in your wit. If you are going to boast, you need to boast in this. Boast to people that you know me. That is our boast. That is what we should be boasting on. We know God, the God who executes loving kindness on the earth every day. He executes justice and he executes mercy. You see, the enemy is after your heart. He is after your faith because without it, we are lost. 
If you have no faith, you've already lost the battle. If there's no faith in your life, you cannot move forward, and you're just stuck in that one place. You see, we're going to look at being tougher than your toughest days. We're going to look about, talk about how do you stand. When the bad news comes at you, when the pressure comes at you, and you're worried and you're full of anxiety, we're going to talk about how do you not move? How do you stay firm on the Word of God? How do you stand still? And you're still saying amen to those promises. That's what we're going to talk about. Because I honestly think we need it. And this world is not going to get any better. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? So why then do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For, all, uh, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do not worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I heard this statement once years ago, and it says, worry is faith in the negative. So if you have great capacity for negative thinking, it actually means you have great capacity for faithful thinking. Worry is faith in the negative. It's trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunity with yesterday's trouble. Now I get it, there is a lot of trouble in the world. At the moment, no matter where you go, what you're looking at, whether you're looking at social media, whether you're turning on the news, it's trouble. Whether you go to pack and save, there's trouble because the prices are increasing. There's trouble when you go to get petrol because we get taxed, getting taxed even more. There's trouble. Everywhere we look at the moment, there is trouble. There is bad news, pressure, anxiety. It comes at us all the time. Tough days come at us. It's a tough day when the doctor says cancer. It's a tough day when you're going to lose your house. It's a tough day when you've lost your job. It's a tough day when there's not enough money to cover all your bills. It's a tough day when the kids head south. It's a tough day when your man leaves you. It's a tough day when you're pregnant and you're not married. It's a tough day. So the question is, when these things come at us, how do I get tough enough to be able to stand? How do I operate in the kingdom of God? Because whether I like it or not, we are in a war. I either fight or I run. I either stand or I fall. I either live in faith in Christ or I live in the flesh. I have a choice and you have a choice. It comes down to what you want to do. You can choose to be who you are supposed to be. 
I can choose to be who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a child of God. I'm supposed to be a warrior. I'm supposed to be a woman of God because everything that I have belongs to Jesus. I am a child of the Most High. Now, I can operate under the kingdom of God in the way that he dictates, or, you know what, I can operate in the natural and in the flesh. And if that's the case, then we're all just sitting here in a social club called church, and it's a waste of our time. You have to be who God has called you to be. There are three things that you can do that are going to make you tougher than your toughest day. And the first one is have faith for one day. Have faith for one day. Not for a week. Don't focus on having to have faith for a month. Don't think about having faith for the next three years. You have faith for one day. See, God doesn't tell me to live in tomorrow. God doesn't tell me to dread what happened yesterday. God tells me that now faith is. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I focus on today. I don't worry about tomorrow. I stay in today. So how do we do that? How do we have faith for one day? There's a really awesome story, and I've probably shared this a hundred times because I love Caleb. Caleb is one of my favorite characters, and it's found in Joshua 14, verse 7 to 12. And he says this. This is Caleb speaking. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he has said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And as yet I am as strong this day as on the day when Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you have heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that their cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I'll be able to drive them out as the Lord says. So I just want to give you some context about Caleb. So Caleb was part of the 12. So what happens is, is Israel gets released from Egypt. They come through, they reach the promised land. It only took them 12 or 13 days to reach the promised land. They reach the promised land and Moses said, right, 12 spies, so he picks one from each tribe. Caleb was one of those, so was Joshua. And he says, you need to go in and spy out the land and tell us what you see. So he goes in and in, he, he um, goes in there and in the chapter 13 of the book of Numbers is the story. And so they go in, spy out the land, they come back. 10 spies come back with an evil report and two spies came back with a good report. Joshua and Caleb come back with the good report. Ten of them completely missed it. They flunked out. They died in the wilderness along with the rest of Israel. Because what happened is, is they have this moment and they're standing at this, you've got to understand, I keep thinking these people just didn't get it. They literally watched God do all, the, all those miraculous plagues through, through Egypt. They then come where he parts the Red Sea. Not only that, but he actually made it that when they left, they were slaves. When they were released and they were no longer slaves, they were given the wealth of Egypt to take with them. So they were no longer slaves. They had wealth beyond imagining. And this is three million people, and they all had it. So they come along, they hit the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea. 
then, of course, the um, Egyptians come along, and God completely wipes them out. And then they reach the promised land. This promised land they've been talking about since the days of um, Abraham. This is the promise. They all knew what this was. They'd spent the last 450 years in slavery talking about making it to the promised land. So much so that Joseph, who was um, the, the right hand to Pharaoh at one stage, 450 years previously, said to them, when you leave and go to the promised land, take me with you. They get there. They're at the promised land. They've seen God do the miraculous. And they turn around and they go, whoa, we can't do this. We're too scared. And you have Caleb, who is standing there, and he's saying to them, we can do this. Yes, there are giants in that land. Yes, it's a little bit scary, but we have God on our side. God who's just done all this miraculous stuff that you've just seen him do. We can do it. We can take the land. But you know what happened? Ten other guys stood up, and they said, we're too scared. We can't do this. They have giants. And they turned three million people, living that whole entire nation, into fear and disbelief. See, they did not believe that the God inside of them was bigger than the giant that they were facing. So how do we have faith for one day? We have to be like Caleb. You have to remember that no matter what it is that you're facing, that the God inside of you is much bigger than the giant that you're facing. He is much bigger than the giant you're facing. Now I get that the giant is standing outside and he's screaming in your face and he's shoving his bad news in your face and it can be a little bit scary. But God's big, you're small, he's on the inside of you, which makes you big. You see, a giant is actually a blessing from God so that you can, it's a setup to be able to change us. We were made to be giant killers. You are made to be a giant killer. Honestly, you are made to be a giant killer. That is our role. We are to kill giants and we are to take ground. You see, when problems roar at us, when the economy's yelling at us, when loss of jobs is, is in our face, when our personal life and our health and our relationships, when they're all just screaming and they're haunting you and they're keeping you from sleeping at night, what you have to remember is that God says, have faith for today. Have faith for this day, not for tomorrow. He will give us grace for this day. And I get it. Sometimes it's really hard when you lose your home, when you lose your job, and there's shame and brokenness. And you know what? You did your best, and that's okay, because God will restore. He loves you. He's going to restore it. If you lose it because of what the enemy is doing, we just sang about it. He was going to take what the enemy's done for evil, and he's going to turn it to good. But he won't be able to do that if you're just carrying in fear all the time. And you know what? Sometimes it's our own fault. Sometimes we make mistakes. I get that. But you know what? You're just growing. Everyone makes mistakes. I make mistakes. God expects us to make mistakes. That's why he's there to clean up after us. He loves you and he's bigger than your mistakes and he's bigger than the giant on the outside. Caleb didn't listen to the majority of those three million people. He didn't listen to those loudest voices. He didn't listen to the news. He didn't listen to those reports. You see, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, not according to what the world is saying. He's not concerned if, we're in, if the world's in prosperity, and he's not concerned if the world is in recession. And you know what? I'm not concerned if the world's in recession because I am under his kingdom. I actually live in his kingdom. I follow the rules according to the kingdom of God, not according to the kingdom of man. So while the economy is saying this is bad, while the world is saying that we're in massive recession, I don't abide by that because that may be the fact, but the truth is that I stand under the kingdom of God. 
Because you know what? There are facts and then there's God's truth. And God's truth will trump man's facts every day of the week. See, the majority wants to rule our life. Satan wants to steal your faith. And we have to guard our heart. We have to have faith for today. You see, God is bigger than any problem that you're facing. And Caleb, in that passage of scripture, he is actually rehearsing the word of God that Moses spoke to him 45 years ago. See, what happened is those other 10 spies and the 3 million people, they had to die off. They went on a 40-year journey hiking through the desert because they had to, God's like, I can't, they can't go into the promised land. So he had to wait for these guys to grow up. Caleb did not have that doubt, but Caleb, unfortunately, had to live with their their decisions and live with the consequences of that. So Caleb is now 85 years old. He's 85. He's an old man. But God says you need to have faith for today. You live in today. We make plans for our future and we can strategize. We don't ignore our future. But you need to remember that the plans of man are many, but God will order our steps. There's a big difference between planning and faith and worrying and fear and doubt and unbelief and dread. So we plan in faith. We do not plan and worry and fear. And he says in verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people mount, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. You see, doubt and unbelief and negativity will absolutely live in a nation. They will live in a city, they will live in a church, and they will destroy a family. Do not listen to the evil reports. Do not bury your head as if it isn't happening. You just don't let it get into your heart. Don't take on board what you're hearing in the news. Don't take on board what they're saying about things. Because you live by the kingdom. You don't live by this world. In verse 9, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he has said these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. You see, there's a day coming for you when it will be this day that you've been waiting for. You will have a this day in your life if you don't worry, if you don't grow weary, if you don't stop believing God. Do not let the enemy steal your dreams. Because if you do, you will never reach this day. Verse 11, as yet I am strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both going out and coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that day. For you have heard that day how the Anakim were there and that their cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out, as the Lord said. You need to remember the word of the Lord in the times of waiting. You need to remember the word of the Lord in times of waiting. God didn't wake him up every day and say to Caleb, Caleb, remember I said that you can have this land. He didn't wake him up and say, Caleb, I know you're going to have to march around here for 40 years, but remember what I said. No, he didn't do that. What happened was Caleb remembered. Caleb kept that word in his heart. Caleb rehearsed that word every day. So he remembered it. You don't lie down. We don't play dead. We don't give up. We actually get up and we stand for what it is that God has said. So how are you going to be tougher than your toughest day? You're going to have faith for today. That's it. Don't worry about faith tomorrow. Don't worry about having faith next week. Don't worry about next month or next year. You wake up every morning and you say, today I'm going to have faith. The second thing that we need to do is you have to, every day you have to resist the devil. Every day. 
You see, we hear people say, I'm fighting the good fight of faith. We hear people say that. But in all honesty, God, God, there's no time off. You know, you're in a war and you don't get furlough, you don't get leave, you don't, you don't take a break. We are in a battle. There's no time off. So if you're in a war, you need to put on your war gear and you actually need to get ready to fight. You see, this is not the time in your life to be a, little, a good little Christian and sit down and play your little harp. And then, honestly, if you think you can come to this church and put your cute little butt in one of our chairs and just play nice and show God that you've been in church and think that the devil's going to leave you alone, you are kidding yourself because he is a liar and there's no truth in him. While he may leave you alone for a little while, he's not going to leave you alone forever. And he will get himself in your face and in your business. See, God told me that I had to put on the armor of God, and then I had to go out and take out giants. And it's not about doing it just for me. It's about doing it for the people who are coming after. Because my job is to make sure that I can bring life to other people. That is what we've been called to do. So we have a choice. You can either sit back and enjoy life. And like I said, Satan will let you do that for a little while. But he hates you. He hates God. He hates what God stands for. And he will be working behind the scenes to completely wreck your life. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And if you think otherwise, you're a fool. See, God has the church. We are salt and light to the earth. It's not just about you doing it for yourself. It's about you doing it for other people. We need to bring his mercy and his miracle power and his love and his faithfulness and his deliverance and his salvation to the rest of this world. That is our job. So how do we do this? How do we resist the devil? In James 4 verses 6 to 7 it says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what is grace? Now, I know we say it's unmerited favor, but nobody actually talks like that. What grace is, is it's God's power in me to do what I need to do and to get his will done on this planet. Rick Warren says, said this. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. See, it's not a worm mentality. We have this idea that humility is about, oh, you know, I'm just a worm. And, but it's not about that. It's actually about thinking about yourself less. Because I am now hidden in Christ. It is now his will that reigns. It is now his power and his plan and his purposes that I live out in my life. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. And if he's going to take care of the birds, if he's going to take care of the flowers, if he's going to do all of this sort of stuff, and he's paid such a high price for you, he gave up his son for you. Why would he not give you the things that you need? Why would he not give you the things that you require? I do not understand why we do this as, as people. We go, God's not going to give me this. Are you kidding? He gave up his son for you. Why would he not? We have a wrong concept. Of course he's going to take care of you. You're his child. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to submit. Now, I'll admit, submission is sometimes a dirty word. See, because I'm a wife, and I have to sometimes submit to my husband, and sometimes I don't want to. No, I don't want to. Honestly, there have been times when, when we can battle it out, and, and that's how it happens. But submit it comes from two root words. Sub, meaning to come under, and mit, missio, meaning mission. So to submit is to come under the mission of another. And in all honesty, submission actually doesn't really start until you don't understand 
or you don't agree with what's going on. But God says you need to submit. And sometimes I don't understand. I don't understand the problems that we're facing. I don't understand why I'm in the mess that I'm in. And when I don't understand those things, I just have to submit and follow what he says. And when I submit, when I decide to go under the authority of God and not under the authority of my own flesh, when I decide to come under the authority of God, therefore you get authority and then that is when the devil flees from you. Sometimes though, we have stuff in our life, right? Sometimes we have opened the door and we've allowed the devil to come in. We might have done something that we know we shouldn't have been doing. We might be looking at something we shouldn't be looking at. We might be dabbling in things that we shouldn't be doing. And the devil will come in. And I get that sometimes it's hard. And, and I was thinking about this, and I have the students that I work with, they've got, most of them have got criminal records. Not all, but most. And if I attend FGCs or family group conferences or, or if I have to go to court with them and things like that, you see their file. And you read their file and it will say, repeat offender violence, repeat offender theft, repeat offender tagging, repeat offender. But you know what? I'm a repeat offender. Do you know how many times God said to me, deal with this attitude? And I don't. I have to come back to God and I have to apologize again. God, I'm sorry I screwed up and I did it again. I'm really sorry about that. And you need to do that. You know what God's touched on you. You know when God's saying, I want you to fix this. You need to fix this so that when the devil comes at you, you can't, he can't get a foot in. And you know what? Sometimes you might have to go to him 518 times. Just keep going. He will keep forgiving. He will keep working on that. So how do we resist the devil? I trust God. I humble myself. I submit. I come under authority. I put on the weapons of his warfare. I take up the shield of faith. I grab the helmet of salvation. I have my feet shod in the gospel of peace. I put on the belt of truth. I wear a breastplate of righteousness and I pick up my sword of the spirit. And I fight. I come under authority. I start to take out those giants. So how am I gonna have faith be tougher than my toughest day? I'm gonna have faith for today. Every day I'm gonna resist the devil. And the last one is I wanna stir myself up. Stir yourself up. It's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's not your husband's or your wife's responsibility. It is your responsibility to stir yourself up. See, there's actually only one person who gets me totally, who fully understands me, and that's Jesus. As much as my husband loves me, and as much as we're best friends, it's only Jesus that fully knows me. See, there's different ways to do it, but do you know how I do it? How I, how I stir myself up? And that is to get my hope back. You see, without hope, you don't have anything for your faith to go to work on. One of the reasons I got my tattoo is because it reminds me of who God is so I know who I am. I have scriptures written around my wrist. I have, a, I have the cross with Jesus' name. I have a heart that says I'm failing. And I have an anchor that says unshakable because his word is unshakable. Because this is a, a physical reminder when I am struggling, when I am weary, when I am tired of fighting and I don't want to do this anymore. I can see it. I can see the word of God and I can actually stir myself up into his promises. You see, the enemy is out to steal your faith and to steal your dream and to make your heart weary. But God says if you come to him and stir yourself up, you're going to get faith. You're going to have faith in God and not faith in your circumstances. There's a story of David, 
and King David's running from Saul. He'd been running from Saul for a while. In fact, he'd saved Saul's life twice. And he comes to the Philistines because he's had enough. He's just walked away from Israel. He's done with Israel. And he comes to the Philistines, and he's been working for the, for the Philistine kings. And what he was actually doing secretly is he was going and he was killing all these villages and wiping them out completely and claiming all their, all their land. And so the Philistine kings come to this point, and they have a great big um, battle that they're going to fight against Israel. So... David and his 600 men, they rock up to this battle, going to fight for the Philistines. And the princes of Philistines say, no, we don't trust David. We don't want him to work. So they send David home. So David and his men, they're disgruntled and they're kind of moaning, groaning. They get home to discover that everything's gone. Their wives are gone. Their children are gone. Their wealth is gone. And all that stuff is this burning rubble of their city of Ziklag. And his men are so distraught and his men are so angry that they decide they're going to kill David, and they talk about stoning him. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David is at the absolute lowest point of his life. His wives are gone and his children are gone. And his men who he had such great relationship with, they hate him now. They want to stone him. And what David does is he begins to strengthen himself in the Lord. And we can be like this. We can run away from God. We can not bother praying. We can be angry with God so we're not going to talk to God. We can be frustrated and we can be angry and we can be worried. But you need to get back to God. If you don't get back to God, your situation is not going to change anyway. I get frustrated. There are things I'm believing for, and I can get frustrated. There are times when I think to myself, God, is this ever going to change, or is this ever going to happen? But you have to keep trusting. You have to hold. You have to stir up your faith. You have to stir up that hope within you and remember the things of God. You need to get on your knees. And some of us do, like men and women are different, right? So men, sometimes you need to do what Abraham did. And you need to take a walk with God. And you need to talk with God. And he will, and you strengthen yourself in him. God knows that he's called you to be the provider. And God knows when you're in a situation where that's struggling, take a walk with God and just talk with him. It doesn't have to be a, a holy moment. It can literally be, I'm going for a walk and literally just walk and talk. And with us women, let's face it, we're a little bit of a drama queen. So we need to come to God the way that we come to God. So you grab your blanket and you grab your tears and you climb up on daddy's knee and you just cry it out because that's how you get back to the right place. You need to be strengthened in the Lord. You need to do this for yourself. You can come here and we can motivate you for a moment, but I guarantee the minute the kids start fighting in the car park, it's gone. You have to strengthen yourself, yourself. As much as I can't, as much as I want to, I can't do it for you. I would love to, but I can't. So how are we going to be tougher than our toughest day? Because you know what? God said he's made you to be a giant killer. So you don't have tough days. You just have work days. This is going to work. You're going to have faith for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. God's in your tomorrow. You just take care of today. You get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to believe that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Today, I'm going to believe that he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Today, I'm going to believe that he is the, the God of salvation. 
Whatever it is you're believing for, you get up in the morning, you say, this is what I'm going to believe for. And then when you go to bed that night, you say, God, I thank you that today I believe that you were this. And then the next morning you get up and you say it again. Today I'm going to believe that this is what God is. And when the enemy comes, when he begins to say things to you and he begins to whisper doubts in your head, you say, no, today I'm believing he's the God who provides. I'm not going to listen to that. I'll worry about that later. You've got to be active. You have to do this. Every day you need to resist the devil. You need to submit to God. You need to trust what he's saying. You need to get your life right. Put on your weapons because we're fighting giants. The third thing is you have to stir up yourself every day. You recall the promises of God and you talk to yourself. Tell yourself the same thing. This is what God has promised me. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a woman who is in this earth, but I'm not of this earth, therefore I come under the kingdom of God. You find those scriptures, you find the things that it is that you're facing, you find the scriptures that support what the word of God says in that situation, you preach that to yourself. You are actually your biggest preacher because you believe the stuff that you say in your head all the time. If you believe that God's not gonna be there, then God's not gonna be there. If you believe that God's gonna be there, then God will be there. You preach to yourself all the time and you don't even know it. 